Once again, this Sunday, we continue our journey through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So please get your Bibles back out to Acts chapter 21. And today we're going to be looking at Acts 21, verse 37, all the way into Acts 22, verse 21. So please follow along with me. That's Acts 21. Let's start with verses 37 to 40. In the context, friends, leading up to verses 37 to 40, the crowd in Jerusalem is is stirred up and crying away with him when it comes to the Apostle Paul. So Paul is arrested by the tribune, right, ordering him to be bound with chains. And the people are all riled up, right, against the Apostle Paul. He was to be brought to the barracks and soldiers were carrying him because of the violence of the crowd. Let's look at verse 37. Verse 37, Paul wants to say something to the people. And so he asks the tribune, and this is the the commander, he asks him to speak. And the tribune was surprised to hear Paul speak in Greek, right, in his language. Because look at verse 38, the commander, the tribune, he thought that Paul was this Egyptian, specifically this insurrectionist Jew from Egypt who three years before had appeared claiming to be a prophet. And Paul explains to the tribune who he was, right? And he gets permission to speak. And Paul motions with his hand to the people and addresses them in the Hebrew language. You see this in verse 39. Paul replies, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And so he gets permission, and Paul stands on the steps, motioning with his hand to the people, and he addresses them in the Hebrew language. Think of it, friends. Paul has um, become all things to all people, right? We hear this before in Scripture. And here he speaks the language of the people, right? He's communicating the gospel in a way that people can actually understand it. In this text, in their own language, how important is this for us, that we would speak the good news, that we would preach the gospel in a language that people can actually understand it, right? Not with a bunch of academic jargon, but just the simple truth of the gospel that people can understand it. In this text here, again, in the Hebrew language, in their language, Paul speaks to them and speaks about what Jesus has done in his life. So in our text, we see Paul proclaiming what Christ has done Right? He is not overtaken by fear, but Paul boldly shares his testimony here. That others would see how Paul was once one way, and now his life is completely shifted and changed in a drastic way, and it's all because of Jesus. So as we look at this text, as we get into the meat of this text, let us reflect on our own testimonies and our own conversions as we look to the conversion of St. Paul. Let's look at chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, as we move forward. In chapter 22, verse 1 onward, we hear Paul recount his testimony of his conversion. Now, this is the second time in Acts that Paul's conversion is mentioned. And when the Word of God repeats something, friends, we would do our best to pay close attention. There's a reason for this. So we'll recap some of the themes that we tackled back in the summer when we preached on Acts 9, but we're going to look at this essentially from a fresh 
vantage points. So let's look at verses 1 to 5 of Acts 22. So Paul explains himself in Hebrew, and the crowd, hearing their own native language, comes to a quiet, right? They, they want to hear this, right? Paul doesn't get, again, caught up in academic jargon, but he speaks in the language of his listeners. This is really important when we're explaining the gospel, right? Who's our audience? And that we would explain the gospel in a way that they can understand it. Of course, in the language, um, in the native tongue, that someone can understand it, but even just in the way that we explain it, this is important to keep in mind as well. The gospel in the language of the people. So Paul explains that he was a well-studied, diligent, zealous Jew, verses 1 to 5. Right? He was studied in the scriptures under the best rabbi of the time, Gamaliel. And Paul tells the crowd that he was an intense persecutor of the way, right? The way, the way of Jesus to the death, right? He persecuted the church. He delivered Christians, both men and women, to prison or worse. For example, later in the text, we see he stood by and approved of St. Stephen's martyrdom. He was hard in his views, Paul was, when he is Saul before his conversion. He had the, the authority of the chief priests and he was essentially going to find Christians near and far, that they'd be bound in chains and that they'd be brought to Jerusalem to be punished. Now think about this Saul of Tarsus, right? Hard-headed in his views, in total opposition to the things of God in Christ, right? Walking in the complete opposite direction walking on the way of death. He was hard as nails. He was completely opposed to Christ. And then Christ saves him. Remember, friends, and we've said this before, anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved. So don't ever lose hope. Think of Paul again, hard as nails as Saul of Tarsus, completely opposed to Christ. And then Christ saves him by his grace. Now apply that to your own lives. What were you like before you professed faith in Christ truly? Do you see any similarities to how you were and how Saul was before his conversion? Now I think of my life, friends, before Christ. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, as many of you know. And I remember having certain conversations. They're more like heated arguments, actually, with my one Christian friend, I think it was in late high school or early university, and I I remember being so upset with him, right? So upset with him. I I would intensely challenge him, and I said, you know, how could you possibly think that Jesus is the only way, right? How could you possibly think that? And, And I would challenge him in this time, right, before my conversion, and, you know, through the years, that friend, he kept talking with me, and he was gracious with me. He, he watched me walk through the self-help movement and new age spirituality. And years later, he, he saw me come to Christ. Right? He saw Christ save me. And what I found out is that he had been praying for all of those years. And Christ saved me by his grace. Right? It was nothing that I could have done. I was once totally hard-headed and opposed to the things of Christ. I wanted nothing to do with him. But then Christ gave me a faithful heart. 
years later. There was nothing that I could have done. So remember, friends, as we reflect on our own conversions, as we reflect on the conversion of St. Paul, as he recounts it here in this text, anyone can be saved. So never lose hope. Look at verses 6 to 13 of Acts 22. Let's keep trucking along here. Verses 6 to 13, Paul tells us what took place on the road to Damascus. Right? He recounts his conversion, right? the, the stunning light that shone from heaven. He recounts that he was essentially overwhelmed by this and he falls to the ground and he hears a voice repeat his name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asks, Saul asks this, who are you, Lord? Right? He knew this was no ordinary voice. Paul recounts that he was confronted with Jesus. Saul of Tarsus had been intensely persecuting all those who belong to the way, to the church. And to persecute Christ's church is to persecute Christ himself. Look at verse 9. Those who were with Saul at this time, they did not understand the voice of Christ. Right? They saw the light and it if we reflect on Acts 9 as well, they saw the light, but they didn't see Jesus. They didn't hear with understanding, right? Verse 10, Paul now recounts his response to this mighty work of God, right? This whole situation on the road to Damascus. And Saul, at the time, he asks this, he says, what shall I do, Lord? Right? What shall I do, Lord? Now, friends, that's, that's the right question, right? The process of conversion leads to this obedience in Christ. In conversion, our, our whole life gets flipped upside down and our whole life changes because we're given a new heart, right? We're, we're running on new life in, in the deepest parts of our being. And so then... Paul asks, he recounts this, this question that he asked. He said, what shall you have me do, Lord? What shall you have me do, Master? Friends, this is a question that we must never stop asking in the Christian life, right? We're not done growing. What shall you have me do, Lord, in this process of what we call sanctification, this growth in holiness and Christ-likeness? So Paul goes on to recount how he went from being blind to seeing. And in this, friends, we see this physical manifestation of Saul's spiritual blindness that so characterized his life up to the conversion. And when he came to Damascus, he meets Ananias. He's led by the hand, and then he receives his sight. Right now, Paul, he can truly see because his perspective on life is now grounded at the core in his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He has a new vantage point. He has a new perspective. He, he can truly see his vision has been brought to clarity. Christians, friends, are those who can truly see because the glory of Christ permeates their life and guides their vision, right? This clarity of vision only comes through true faith in Christ, now think about your own conversion. You're once stumbling around in the dark and then Christ saved you. And now you have this clarity and this perspective, this heavenly vantage point. You can see with this heavenly lens. So you were one way and then Christ saved you 
from the wrath of God, and now you're another way. And now what? You've been, you've been delivered from the punishment that your sin deserves. Christ has paid the penalty in full on the cross, dying the death that you and I deserved, and he rose from the grave in victory. You've been granted this forgiveness and his perfect record and eternal life through faith, and faith itself is a gift. This is all by God's grace, but now what? What would the Lord have you do? Right? What would the Lord have you do? Look at verses 14 and 21. Friends, you're called to be witness. You're called to know the Lord's will as revealed in Scripture, what he wants us to know, and to be a witness. Look at verses 14 to 16. So Saul of Tarsus, he becomes Paul the Apostle. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, has saved him. That Paul would know his will, right? Knowing God. You want to know God, you want to know his will, be in his word, right? God's word written. Everything that is necessary for your salvation and for your knowledge of God is revealed in the written word in the Bible. Be in the word, right? That Paul here would know his will and be a witness to everyone, to be a witness of the resurrection, a witness ultimately for Christ, a witness for the gospel. That's what we see Paul called to here. And specifically, as an apostle in a specific way, but we too, friends, as disciples, are called to be witnesses. That we live lives, friends, that are rooted at the core in God's will. That we too are called to live lives in which we are witnessing for Christ through our own testimonies, right? Paul is sharing his testimony here about his conversion story, about how Christ saved him, and we too, through our own stories, our own unique stories are meant to be witnesses, right? We must not betray what we've been entrusted. We must be witnesses for Christ in what we say, in what we do to friends and to unbelievers as well. So Saul of Tarsus here, uh, verses 14 to 16 at the end here, he is baptized. He receives the sign, right? The outward sign of what's inwardly happening to him in conversion, right? His sins washed away through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a witness for Christ, right? This is what God is calling all believers to, you and me, that we are saved for the furthering of the gospel, that we're saved for a purpose, we're, we're called for a purpose, for God's glory and for the salvation of others. Right? We actually have a mission to partake in. No matter what stage of life you're in, we're all part of this, and we have a mission here in the gospel. So we must not be afraid to share our story, our testimony. And you know, your testimony, friends, it might not look as drastic as St. Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, but we all have a story to tell about how Christ has been at work in our lives. And sometimes, friends, it's our very testimonies that can plant seeds for others. And I know that was true about myself before I came to Christ. 
Just having even my one Christian friend around me walking with me through those years and him, just, he was just boldly always talking about Jesus. And he was gracious with me as well and humble of heart. That we would share our testimonies, that, that, that Christ would plant seeds through our story, through our, the, the sharing of our story, that others would come to faith in Christ, right? That's the whole point. It's for God's glory. All right, let's end here with verses 17 to 21. So we then hear of Paul having a vision of the Lord, and the Lord commissions him as the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Verse 21, and he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Firstly, Paul questions the Lord. You know, how often do we do the same thing? Right? How often do we think that we know better than the Lord? We don't. But Paul ends up obeying in the end. And he, here we see the Lord's calling on his life. Right here, what we see, friends, is the Apostle Paul's why. Right? The why behind his, his convictions and his mission and his intentions. That he would be a witness for Christ. A witness of the resurrection. And he would take the good news across the known world. And so, a few questions for us this morning as we close. What is God calling you to? Right? Think about where you are in your life right now and your walk with the Lord. What is God calling you to? And how will you be a witness for the gospel? How would you share your testimony with others? Have you thought about that? Right? How, how would you share the story of how Christ has worked in your life? And do you believe that anyone can be saved, even the least likely, even those who are completely hard-headed and opposed and persecuting the ways of Christ. Anyone can be saved. And do you care enough about the eternal welfare of another to tell them your testimony, even if it's tough, but to pray for that boldness and for those opportunities to share your story of what Christ has done with boldness and in a language that they can understand, right? That's so important. Friends, Christ is still writing your story, and it's ultimately always for his glory at the end of the day, that we would trust in the righteous one, turning from our sins, repenting of our sins, and gaining eternal life through faith by nothing that we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And you will continue to have a story to tell Right, a testimony. Because you were once far off and now you've been brought near to God. You were once blind and now you can see. Friends, share that story with others and see what happens. That they too might see Jesus for who he is and that they'd be saved. That's the purpose of a testimony. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this scripture passage. We thank you for this journey through the book of Acts. I pray, Lord, for boldness for all of us. 
for opportunities and for the right words as we share our own testimonies, that you ultimately would be glorified and that people would be saved. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.